Hello, I'm Michael Hainsworth. Alberta Finance Minister Travis Taves addressed a breakfast gathering this week in Toronto, speaking to some of Ontario's most influential thinkers in finance and politics. He outlined how he intends to bring his province back to a balanced budget within four years. As the tables were cleared, I had a chance to question the minister on his plan. I then turned to the Institute's Associate Director of Research in Calgary, Grant Bishop. Talking about the CPP, where do you stand on the idea that Alberta needs to go it alone? I, I believe that uh, we need to take a look at, uh, at the ramifications of an Alberta pension plan versus continuing as part of the Canada pension plan. I mean, there's, there's uh, precedent for this uh, with Quebec. Uh, within within the nation, and uh, and again, I I'm absolutely committed to doing a thorough review uh, to understand uh, whether uh, going forward with an Alberta pension plan is in the best interest of Albertans. Is it really an apples to apples comparison when we think about Quebec, though? Because it's not that they opted, it's not that they abandoned the CPP. They were never in it in the first place. It's true, but in, uh, but the fact is that they do administer their own pension plan. And so from that standpoint, there is precedent. Again, we, uh, I believe a thorough analysis needs to be conducted. That not only takes uh, a look at the short-term effects, but the long-term uh, effects of going it on our own. And, and I, you know, I, I certainly don't have a predisposed view of the outcome, but uh, it warrants uh, a thorough investigation. How would going it alone jibe with your goal of red tape reduction? Because you're going to have to set up a whole system on your own, and there are going to be costs associated with that. Absolutely. So that, that goes into the analysis. Clearly, uh, we need to consider and evaluate any benefits relative to, to additional costs that we would incur. Is exiting the CPP the thin edge to the wedge for Wexit? No, I, I don't believe so. I, I, I believe that, again, we need to act in Albertans' best interest, particularly now at this point in time uh, in our history, and, and again, do a thorough analysis of, of every initiative um, where there could be an improvement in outcomes for Albertans, both in the short, intermediate and long term. As far as CPP is concerned, you, you have a very energy-dependent province, and so you've got a lot more volatility than some of the other provinces would. What do you say to an Albertan who would find themselves having to pay more into an Alberta-based CPP-style system than the existing system, just to ensure that you can level out those volatile times? Well, again, our analysis um, should uh, provide us the information that, that we need to make a good decision around an Alberta uh, pension plan. Right now, uh, because Alberta has a very young population relative to the national average, because we have uh, a high um, employment um, rate in the province in terms of the number of uh, people uh, relative to, to the total that are employed, uh, we make a very significant net contribution to the Canada Pension Plan every year. We need to understand um, how uh, that would, how that fact uh, would in fact implicate um, an Alberta pension plan, whether in fact there would be net benefits in the short, intermediate and long term, and in fact what, what type of risks we would be taking on as a province in the long term. That all needs to be considered, but I believe it's certainly uh, a proposition worthy of consideration. I think the government has been, on the CPP exit that has been ballooned in uh, the recent weeks, the government, I think, wants to take a close look at the economics behind this. There, there has been uh, a lot of thinking about this in the past. Back uh, in the late 1990s, there was discussion of this and a, a fairly extensive um, analysis and, and volume 
that was put together by a number of, of scholars on this, this topic. Um, th there are a lot of open questions uh, around this. Uh, you know, the, the, the stylized argument is Alberta has a younger population and, uh, you know, therefore contributes, um, contributes on net to the overall payments uh, within the CPP, part of the CPP still being a so-called pay-go system where present contributors fund present beneficiaries. Um, but and Alberta's uh, you know, view is that the, the contribution rate lower would be lower if Alberta was just paying for um, the existent liabilities um, for Albertans and, and, and for Albertans uh, going forward. There are a couple uh, problems and uh, further analysis to be done on, on this question um, you know, of whether such a plan would actually be saving for the Alberta population in the longer run. Of course, Alberta's population is maybe younger than the, uh, than the, the national average now, but Albertans age as well. There, there is the question of what liabilities Alberta would uh, inherit from the existing CPP plan, even though the Act makes very clear how an exit would be done. A question is just what liabilities would be attributed to a, a province who is leaving. And then there are the questions of whether the costs of administration would make the setup of any plan prohibitive. You are doubling the infrastructure that already exists under the CPP to, um, to to collect contributions and, and pay out beneficiaries. So you know whether whether this would be um, economic for Alberta is is, is a question uh, that some analysis I think is necessary to answer, and that's what they've set up to do. Corporate income tax twelve percent. Where do you see it four years from now? It's going to be down to 8%. Uh, we will have by far and away the lowest combined uh, Fed provincial corporate tax rate in the country. Uh, our rate will be, uh, combined rate will be, will be uh, more competitive than 44 of 50 U.S. states. Uh, we, we recognize that we compete for capital on the, on the international stage, certainly uh, the North American stage. And so we, uh, this is one um, factor within our control uh, that can improve our competitiveness. How do you cut 400 basis points out of the CIT yet maintain revenues flat over the next few years as you're projecting? Well, uh, again, we, we believe that, uh, I mean, revenues, we're projecting revenues to stay flat for two years and then to grow modestly uh, in, in the last two years of, of our uh, term. Where does that come from, though? Uh, ultimately from uh, increased investment and growth in the economy. Uh, listen, we, we have a great example of what uh, uh, what happens when you do the reverse. The previous government raised corporate taxes by 20%, from 10 to 12%, and during the next three years, they actually collected $5.8 billion less in corporate taxes than they had uh, the, the year before they made that change. So we're, we're confident that by reducing our corporate tax rate, it will attract investment into the province, increase economic activity in the long term, lead to increased government revenues, but more importantly, in, uh, lead to increased jobs and opportunities for Albertans. On the corporate income tax reduction uh, point, there's a wealth of empirical evidence that corporate income taxes are a very costly way to raise revenue in, in terms of their impact on uh, economic activity and uh, empirical evidence, uh, econometric studies that show that 
bringing down uh, the corporate income tax rate, particularly you know in Alberta, um, will have a boost to investment and uh, and overall economic growth. You know th these are always versus the the so-called counterfactual, um, the the state of the world in the alternative, but the the empirical studies would show or would it would indicate that by doing this level of cut in Alberta, we'll have high GDP higher by about three percent in four years' time than it would have otherwise been. So the reduction uh, in revenues. Um, of roughly five hundred million to a billion dollars net through corporate income taxes will translate into a, a gain for the economy of roughly ten billion dollars. And, and I should just pause and say here: there's, there's been some sort of confusion on the on the numbers about what what the cost of a corporate income tax reduction would be of, of those um, four points. The, the mechanical so-called reduction uh, is, is going to be around $2.5 billion. But you, you don't, um, if, if you imposed a 12% tax, you wouldn't have that much more uh, corporate income tax in the, in the province. Um, there, is, there is a behavioral impact of having a, ho a higher corporate income tax rate. People shift uh, investment and economic activity away from your province. So if you have an 8% rate rather than a 12% rate, it, uh, the mechanical effect isn't all that you have to consider. You also will consider the bounce to revenue because you have that additional economic activity. And that's where we speak about the net number rather than that, that pure mechanical effect. The net number counts in the behavioral impact as well. All the talk about Wexit, though, doesn't that run the risk of driving business investment out of the province? We've seen it in Quebec. We're seeing it right now in the UK with Brexit. Well, well, listen, there's a lot of emotion in Alberta. There's a lot of frustration uh, with uh, with a real sense that uh, that the federal government has, uh, at best case, been obstructionist to, um, to, to a number of the initiatives that Albertans need to grow our economy and in fact a number of initiatives that the nation needs uh, to grow the economy as a whole. There's a, there's a great deal of frustration out there. Um, it's important that we as a provincial government provide um, solid solutions, solutions that uh, are in the best interest of Albertans going forward and ensure that we can manage and control um, all of those factors uh, within our control, again, to, to the uh, best interest of Albertans. But it sounds like the more we talk about Wexit, the more business gets apprehensive about opening its wallet wider over the course of those next four years. Listen, our government isn't talking about Wexit. Our government is talking about um, a fair deal for Albertans within Confederation. That's what we're committed to. So you're not concerned that this is sort of the thin edge to the wedge idea that if you can get, say, uh, your own version of CPP and you adjust your own uh, revenue models, that you'll be able to say, listen, it's it's time to go our own way. No, th this is this is about uh, improving Alberta's position within Confederation. It's in uh, it. L listen, we make uh, an absolute outsized contribution, uh, net fiscal contribution to the country every year, even during this downturn, we're making a net contribution of over $22 billion. Uh, we need to ensure that Alberta's getting a fair deal within Confederation. That That's our goal. So then let's look four years out. You've balanced the budget. You're starting to bring surpluses in. What do you do with that extra money? 
Well, firstly, we're, we're going to be paying down the debt. Uh, we need to bring down our accumulated debt. We're paying our debt service costs are high right now, uh, and and again, they're going to be uh, they're they're going to be slowly rising over the next couple of years. Paying down the debt will be the goal. There are those who who criticize Alberta for not following the Norway model of when the times were good, set aside that cash. You know, instead the province gave every Albertan 400 bucks. Norway put all that money aside for rainy days. Rainy days are coming. Rainy days are already here. Uh, why not throw some of that cash into a fund to help level out the volatility that comes with being an energy independent energy dependent province? Sure. And and after we've got have the balance uh, or budget balanced at that point in time, I think we've got some uh, Albertans have some really uh, great decisions in front of them in terms of, uh, you know, how, how, how what percentage of, of our revenues we'll be able to set aside. Firstly, we need to bring our, our budget to balance before we can do that. One thing I do want to point out, um, since uh, since the 70s, we've made uh, a net fiscal contribution to, to Confederation of over $600 billion. So, yeah, the, the, Nor the Norway's a, a sovereign state, Alberta is not. The, Norway has not made those kinds of contributions to, to the states around them, Alberta has. And so, um, again, we've made uh, an incredible contribution to the nation uh, over the years, uh, over $600 billion. That would have been an incredible nest egg if had it stayed in Alberta. Uh, it has supported the nation as a whole. Uh, right now we're standing up and we're saying, listen, uh, we're proud Canadians as well as proud Albertans, but we need to ensure that Alberta gets a fair deal. Is it not getting a fair deal within Confederation or is it? Alberta is certain. So on, on the fair deal for Alberta within the Federation, Alberta is uh, a net contributor to the Federation. Revenues raised for from Alberta sources uh, pay for more outside of Alberta than they uh, do within Alberta. Some of that is in the uh, equalization program uh, that uh, is based on the constitutional principle of comparable services at comparable levels of taxation, and therefore uh, funds from federal coffers, uh, some per capita transfers to have-not provinces to bring them to an average level of fiscal capacity. Some of that is in other programs like healthcare and social transfers that are on a per capita basis, and um, since other provinces have people, they uh, they, they get uh, on a per capita basis as, as much as Alberta, and Alberta has higher income, so it's a net contributor to those programs. And, and of course, federal infrastructure spending is also an area where um, it's not evenly distributed in the Federation, and, and Alberta uh, contributes more than it. It gets. Um, You're starting to sound like a politician yourself, there, Grant. <laughs> What's the answer here? The answer? Let's I fact mean, check here. Fair, fairness, fairness is uh, you know not a clean, clean concept. We we live in a in, in a federation where you know we we have an economic union and and a fiscal union, and we um, we have certain arrangements set up to do uh, efficient things. Now, is equalization as a program? As efficiently designed as it as it uh, should be, I, I think there are some changes that could be rightly made to equalization to make it uh, more efficient to have it better serve um, what its intended purpose is. The stabilization fund is also something that Alberta has rightly pointed to as you know designed in a way that that won't really serve Alberta in hard times. Um, this is a program that's intended to backstop uh, provinces that experience a dramatic uh, reduction in, in revenue owing to some economic shock. And, and it's capped. And uh, as a consequence, Alberta has not 
uh, received amounts from it that uh, you know would if if it really helped provinces when they do experience a significant economic shock as as Alberta has. So you know the the, the arrangements with in the federation are complex. I think Alberta has not unreasonably set up um, a process to look at whether the arrangements are are serving Alberta's interests. Um, but I, you know, as I as I highlighted with my commentary around the CPP, this is set up as a set of questions to answer that analysis will support, rather than uh, necessarily predetermined uh, outcomes. Um, they, I think you know the. The government is setting up um, to ask whether we have the right arrangements within the federation um, to be fair to Alberta and other provinces. So you're looking to balance the budget within four years. The Institute's shadow budget does that in about half the time or so. Why go slow? Well, we wanted to, uh, again, we committed to Albertans during the, uh, our uh, campaign and in our platform. That, uh, that we would hold spending flat, uh, grow the economy, and uh, along with that, government revenues and balance within our first term. When we took office, we realized that uh, we weren't going to be able to have a credible uh, path to balance unless we reduced spending. So again, our plan includes a 2.8% spending reduction, and we balance, uh, you know, I, I believe with a very credible plan in year four. Um, so we're, we're really following through on our commitment to Albertans uh, uh, within our platform and, uh, and consistent with our campaign. 2.8% spending reduction, is that credible? This is a credible plan, but with the caveat that the devil's in the implementation. Um, the, the government has identified very clearly where there are opportunities to bring down spending in a real per capita way. Um, I mean, th there's a divergence of Alberta from national norms in spending that's true at the top line, and it's true in individual line items like health and, and then down to physician and hospital spending, and, and certainly within education and social spending as well. Uh, but but the, as I said, the devil's in the implementation, and uh, the, the government has articulated uh, what the, the the target is, uh, achieving the measures to get spending there will be the challenge in the coming year, particularly uh, where uh, negotiations with labor groups are required in order to achieve some of those savings. If you're projecting a $100 billion dollars worth of debt by 2023, when you intend to balance the budget, all of that comes together all, all at once. How do you reduce that projected figure sooner? Well, uh, ultimately, uh, something I should specify is our, uh, in, in an effort to be completely transparent with Albertans, um, our accumulated debt amount at the end of 2022-23 uh, would be $7 billion lower if we used the same principles of disclosure as the previous government. We Our, our amounts include uh, what is a $7 billion uh, cash balance that's required going into an election year to ensure that government can uh, function and operate. So if we're comparing our plan to the previous government's plan, uh, we would really be at about $86 billion at, at the end of four years. It's still a large number very large number. Again, our, our plan is to get to balance within our first term, and at that point in time, uh, we can begin to start paying down our accumulated deficit. I mean, that is, uh, of course, contingent on the economy performing as, um, as projected. I mean, there is a bunch of downside risk here, uh, and, and the minister has highlighted that in, in other 
commentary that uh, this does not anticipate a recession and and there is a significant downside risk whether you don't get a pipeline built that the Trans Mountain expansion doesn't complete on time or um, line three gets further held up. These projections are, are based on those things happening. Exactly. Uh, they they are based on those those events occurring. They're they're based on the the assumed scenario of uh, of of uh, there being additional egress. And I mean that's aside other other factors that could um, affect Alberta's economy to the downside. The projection is is credible on on that. Uh, projection of, of economic performance, though. And I mean, the government is slowing spending vis-a-vis the, I mean, vis-a-vis the previous government, it's anticipating a spending freeze. And that means a, a lower deficit every year to the budget balance than, than what was in the previous government's plan and earlier return to balance. That means a lower aggregate debt outstanding and and therefore lower debt service costs, which is an important part of the government's agenda. Um, Debt is costly and um, the the government is very much attuned to the amount being spent on servicing uh, debt and and that would be spent for servicing debt if uh, debt further escalates. So if these projections are based on the economy continuing as is, we're dealing with the impact of Donald Trump's trade war against China slowing the American economy. And if we are the most that gets rolled over onto by the giant elephant, how realistic is it for Alberta to provide us with these projections? I mean, you, you, you have to have some, uh, some point projection and you always articulate what the downside risks are. Right now, uh, they're using the the status quo projection and and that is uh i mean their their uh numbers are a pullback from what the the previous government used um in its um in its its earlier path to balance um but yes there is significant further downside risk and and then the the budget has cautioned exactly about that that's where this is a cautionary budget on the spending side, the government is doing what is needed to do to rein in spending to national uh, norms, regardless of what the the picture on the the revenue side ends up being. Um, But certainly, if if revenues deteriorate because of uh, factors beyond provincial control, that would hurt uh, the the deficit position and, and result in a higher level of debt. But spending is what is within the government's control. They are acting on that. I should also say they're taking measures on the um, on the revenue side that will encourage uh, business activity in Alberta. And that's intended to uh, shore up the economic prospects for the province, uh, regardless of, of what the external environment may be. And specifically, uh, the reduction in corporate income tax rates and um, initiatives they're also taking to increase in, uh, the ability for internal trade in the federation, I think are, are examples of, um, of them seeking to support Alberta's economic prospects. What do you see as the biggest opportunity to cut? Well, I, I, here's our challenge. Uh, Alberta's, again, spending uh, over $10 billion more per capita 
uh, than the other large provinces in the country. What we ultimately do need to do is uh, is really transform the way that we deliver uh, programs in the province. Uh, just cutting is won't won't be enough. We need to uh, we need to uh, change uh, the way we deliver programs. In many cases, our programs themselves need to be redesigned to a 21st century model, so that again we're delivering effectively and efficiently on behalf of Albertans. Help this Ontarian understand how Alberta found itself spending more on a per capita basis than any of the other major provinces. How did that come to be? Right, and it's, it's easy to, I mean, the, the flush spending that we see in Alberta, the higher than uh, nationwide norm um, spending was, was uh, not just a one-year thing. It, it uh, was an escalation in costs for services over uh, more than 10-year uh, period as, as governments equipped with flush resource royalties um, were, were undisciplined in uh, allowing spending increases without attention to getting value for dollar. Uh, you know, there, there was certainly uh, an attempt in 2015 to push back on that. Uh, the 2015 budget under, under Jim Prentice was um, a, a, a push that way uh, to, to begin to bring spending back in norms, spending back in line with nationwide norms. The NDP took some commendable steps as well to bend down uh, the the pace of spending on the health side and and on the education side. They did uh, decrease the the annual pace of uh, spending growth from what it had previously been. But but a problem in Alberta has been that uh, taxpayers don't um, really see the full cost of uh, public services, at least in the the dollars that we. Uh, pay to government be because uh, there are these resource royalties uh, backing up uh, the the provincial budget uh, that are that are spended on um, immediate expenditures rather than rather than saved. And this has been a, a, a long running point that efficiently you should be spending saving these resource royalties and. Uh, taxpayers should uh, be linking what, what they're paying in, in taxes to what they're getting in, in public services. And, you know, of course, resource royalties come out of, uh, you know, the, the resource sector tax base, uh, companies that are doing extraction, production of, of uh, in particular, hydrocarbons are, are the ones paying it. But, um, you know, th those are really a, a payment to government for the, the, the property uh, the public property, the uh, exhaustible natural resource. Um, I mean, when you have those and they are volatile, uh, you, you tend to expand spending during flush times, unless there's a rule for saving them. And that is what we and, and other economists have long pushed for. Healthcare seems to be one of those big areas where you're spending way more than pretty much every other province. We are, and healthcare makes up over 40% uh, of our budget. So it's uh, we can't talk about fiscal responsibility without talking about healthcare. Uh, we, we have a number of initiatives within healthcare. Uh, firstly, our health minister initiated a uh, performance review of Alberta Health Services, and Ernst & Young is conducting that review. I believe they will have a report by the end of this year. We're, we're uh, looking forward to the recommendations from that report. Uh, in, in Alberta, uh, physicians, we, we spend uh, significantly more on physicians than other provinces. And, and again, we're working to uh, we're working with with uh, physicians in the province to find a way forward 
so that we can continue to deliver excellent health care, um, but at, at um, costs that are more approximate the costs of other provinces. There's great scope to improve the efficiency of health care delivery in Alberta. Again, this is an area where the devil will be in the implementation, and this is the largest bucket of, of spending and the most challenging one to to revamp in a way that achieves savings at the same time that you're you're maintaining outcomes and service levels. But much of this uh, in in the healthcare uh, scene is is about compensation. Physicians are a big part of the healthcare spending tranche, and and then hospitals are the other, actually the largest other part of the the healthcare budget. Bringing in in physician costs. Will be about rationalizing the fee for service schedule uh, in line with what it is in other provinces and for specialties that have seen uh, productivity gains uh, over over the last ten years. Rationalizing what what they are paid to uh, share some of those productivity gains. Specifically, what I mean by that is where specialties like ophthalmology or, or radiology have. Uh, decrease the time to do certain procedures. The fee schedule for physicians has not caught up with uh, those decreases in the time that it uh, it takes to do that that certain procedure. And so, um, pay or compensation for uh, those services has uh, has increased markedly um, as as you're doing many more procedures in in shorter time. And of course, you know, for for those certain procedures, uh, physicians have invested uh, in, often in risky innovation and, and in the cost of technology. That has to be recognized in any fee-for-service schedule that in behind there stands um, overhead and capital that, uh, that, that physicians are paying for with their fee-for-service for those procedures. But there needs to be rationalization of the fee schedule to, to deal with some of these uh, specialties where productivity gains have been seen, but unlike in a competitive market, they they haven't been uh, incorporated into the price for those given services. I mean, there there are other things certainly as well with um, with physicians that the government is rightly looking at moving to a capitation model, so called, where physicians are paid based on the population. Uh, that they they serve rather than uh, necessarily on a fee for service basis. There are complexities with that and spe specialties or or areas of practice to which that might better apply than others. This is the complexity of uh, of dealing with the health uh, system, and, and this will be very much up for negotiation between uh, physicians and the province. The physicians' contract expiring next year. I should also say, I mean, the, the provincial government is very much concerned with the number of physicians per capita in Alberta versus other provinces. Alberta has many more, uh, in particular, family doctors uh, per capita than in other provinces. Um, and, and, and they're not uh, distributed in the province uniformly, uh, geographically. There are many more in uh, Calgary and Edmonton, for example, than in, in Brooks. So the, the province is, um, and they signaled in the budget, putting in place power for the uh, Minister of Health to uh, condition 
uh, new licenses or new new um, new licenses under the the health insurance scheme to to practice uh, based on uh, where physicians would locate. So effectively putting in place that if, if you're going to be paid by um, AHS, you, you will uh, practice in, an, in areas that are underserved uh, in certain specialties. You know, th this, this is um, signaling that, the, the, I mean, the government wants to really retool how physicians are paid and uh, how the population is served. I think doctors will, will certainly push back on this. Um, and and I, I think there is also going to be potentially a relief valve in uh, what scope for private services uh, the, the provincial government uh, allows. That was Grant Bishop, the Associate Director of Research at the C.D. Howe Institute. He joined us from Calgary. Special thanks to Finance Minister Taves for his post-presentation time. A busy month continues for the Institute in November. On the 19th, Matthew Boswell, Canada's Competition Commissioner, will speak at a roundtable luncheon at the Toronto office. In Ottawa, November 21st, the C.D. Howe will host an expert policy conference on vaping and e-cigarette regulation in Canada, with four separate sessions on topics ranging from the impact nicotine levels in product design influence usage, youth behaviours and prevention efforts, and the black market. On November 25th, back in Toronto, a roundtable luncheon will explore digital identification in healthcare and protecting patient data. Later in the month, fostering improved compliance and fairness, as well as a roundtable breakfast with the Honourable Victor Fideli, the Minister of Economic Development, Job Creation and Trade with the Government of Ontario. I'm Michael Hainsworth. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the C.D. Howe Institute podcast with Michael Hainsworth. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. The C.D. Howe Institute is an independent, not-for-profit research institute whose mission is to raise living standards by fostering economically sound public policies. The Institute is widely considered to be Canada's most influential think tank and a trusted source of essential policy intelligence, distinguished by nonpartisan, evidence-based research and subject to definitive expert review. Visit cdhow.org and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you.